Awesome. Hey, we are, oh, thank you. We are in a, probably for lack of a better word, uh, like a series, right, of, of sermons. We're typically going, in our church going through a book of the Bible, and um, from that, we end up, themes or, or topics pop up, and we, we talk about that. But I'm becoming fond of these detours from that that the Holy Spirit's taken us on. So we're going to do that again today. Um, so excited to have this kind of baptism. And I don't know about you guys, but this morning was kind of hectic for me. You know, so, so sometimes you, you just got to breathe it out. Or like maybe you just take a dip in the hot tub. This is the best part about my job. You say you can get in the hot tub and then and preach from here at times, and then it makes it kind of fun. I wish you all had a hot tub to get in during this, but then you'd probably fall asleep. But I've got some slides here, but ultimately, hey, Shauna, the water's fine. It's going to be good. I just checked it out for you, quality control. So here's what's going on. We're going through 1 John, and oftentimes when, when we're um, going through a section of Scripture, right, we read something, but... But reading it and knowing it intellectually doesn't change you for the most part. Change happens. Real knowledge, real understanding can only happen once, once you have some kind of experiential learning or process about something, right? It's like my wife often says to me, I could try to tell you as a dad what it was like to have a baby or to be pregnant or to carry a baby, but until you do that yourself, you'd never really understand. A guy wouldn't understand. And, and so with that, sometimes we go through some of these sections of Scripture and we just we look at it hypothetically or intellectually. So that's kind of what happened. Last week, guys, we were, we were in 1 John chapter 5. John being a letter written by the Apostle John to Christians in the first century. And, and so <laughs> I'm taking the liberty to say we're Christians. We're a group of Christians. There's probably some stuff in this that John would like to speak to us. And some of us aren't Christians, and they need to know what it means to be a Christian and what the life of a Christian's like before they decide, I'm in or I'm out. That make sense? So it's been a really awesome journey. So grab your Bibles and turn with me. Let me just, we're rewinding a little bit to touch again on what we talked about. And 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. And it says this, I write these things to you who believe, right? He's writing to who? Who, those who believe, okay, I'm going to need your help today. So when I'm asking you a question, some people, they might want you to be quiet. I'd love for you to speak back, okay? We're going to have some dialogue about this. Um, so he's writing to those who, who what? Believe. There, that was better. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's one of the purposes of why he's writing this letter. He wants us to have this assurance, this confidence that we have life in Christ. Like right now, while we're in this body and in this place, and also in the future when we shed this body and we go to be with the Lord, right? Both. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So that's like a lot of words. So let me, try to, let me try to put it in a way that I understand it. What he's saying this, he says, I'm, I want to write to all you, all you men and women who've come to believe in Jesus. 
that he is the Savior, the Son of God. I'm writing to you. And the reason I'm writing to you is I want you to feel confident that life comes through Jesus. And that you have it. And I want you to have this kind of confidence in the way that you live. That, that because of Jesus, all these things that, you des- that you're longing for, that you need, God knows. Right? So if God knows, and you still don't have that thing that you want, then that really good father must know that now is not the right time for it, or maybe it's never the right time for it. And I think that's the hard part about this. Whatever we ask, not that he grants, whatever we ask, he hears, he knows. So you and I can live in a confident way, like God knows he's in control. So what happens when things in life go wrong? Well, he's in control. What, what, what happens when your workplace goes wrong? Well, God is in control. What, what happens when your country isn't doing what you want it to? God is in control. And throughout the whole scripture and all the history, God was always in control. Always faithful. And when he let something happen, it wasn't because he like, oh, no, surprise me. No, no. When something happened, there's a reason why. And even you and even me and even other people in our sin and our bad decisions, that doesn't stop God. God will just twist that thing, turn that thing, and make something beautiful out of it, right? So he wants us to know that, that, that we hear him. So that's great. Well, there's a word that, that really, the, my, in my spirit, man, it just caused this pause, and the word is confidence. Confidence. Like, I want you to be confident is what John said. Okay. Let's, t- let's talk more about that. You want us to be confident, John. So I looked it up. Because what I keep finding is our words and their words are not the same a lot, right? The words that the writer intended and the words that you and I use are often not the same. Like, someone give me, like, your definition. What does it confident mean? Assure? Assured? Assurance? Yeah? Assurance. Okay. What else? You're sure of yourself. Yeah. That, those are pretty good when we look at, wow, you're confident. Right? It's like the guy who could sell right, ice cream to Eskimos or whatever. That guy's just so confident. Right? He's not afraid. He's like sure of himself. He could do that. I know some people that are really good at faking it till they make it. They talk and you're like, wow, is that true? Because I don't know if that's true, but you're so sure of it, it must be true. Right? That, that's like what we think of confidence. But the word here... In both of these scriptures I'm going to show you, the first John and then in Hebrews as well, um, the word here has to do with, it's actually two words. And one is all things, and the other word is like to speak or spoken. So really when it says confident, it's saying that all things are spoken. That you don't, you're not afraid, you don't, you're not necessarily like hiding, you're, all things are spoken, you're open. Openness is probably a better word. Openness, I would say, is a better word. So then it's like this. John is saying, and this is the openness that we have towards God. This is the openness that we have towards God. This is the, the way that we can speak anything to God. That if, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we've asked of him. And, and a big part of that is his will, right? Because you ask for things... 
It's like your 16-year-old wants a, like a Lamborghini. You know, let them practice on a beaten up car so they can bump into people and things, right? That, that's, that's knowledge, so a good father or mother would want to do that. Now, if you have so much money that you can just throw that away, then maybe you get your kid the Lamborghini. But for me, and for most of you, that might not be the wisest thing to do. Make sense? So our wise father in heaven is like, I don't want you to hurt yourself, and so I might not grant your request. However, I've heard it. I know what you want and you need. So you can be open with me. Okay, so let's talk about confidence. So here's what I want to do. I want to I actually talk about what this really means and looks like because I want us to understand. And, and selfishly, guys, I need to understand this too. And if I'm going to be even a half good shepherd, like the good shepherd that we follow, I need to know where the good grass is so I can show you. And I'm telling you, there's good grass here that we can eat from, we can learn, and we can grow. So the first factor is confidence in life. So what does confidence look like in the world around us? Help me out. I, I want to pull from your experiences what you've observed. What does confidence look like? Arrogant? Yeah. Yeah? Not afraid? Not scared? Boldness. So here's an observation. Like, I've tended my whole life to feel confident about my ability to understand and to be smart and to talk to people. But you put me in a construction-related situation when I, was, when I was like 18, it would blow my wife's mind. Like, how could you be so confident in that but so fearful in this? Right? Her, on the other hand... She learned as a, uh, as a child, like, when they didn't have a lot of money and the dishwasher broke, you just took it apart. It's already broken anyway. If you can't put it back together, you've just helped it on its way to the trash. Right? In my world, I had very competent men, dad, uncles, all this kind of stuff. They could fix and build anything. So, Will, you don't touch it because if you break it, they can't fix it. So confidence is like, I mean, literally, I'd be doing something, and I'm like, oh, I'm like nervous. There's no confidence. There's fear. I'm like not open to that experience. I'm not even open to trying it. What other things does does, uh, confidence look like in the world around us? Yeah. Yes, I heard that one. Thank you. A calmness. Yeah, so what she's saying, if I'm hearing you right, like when you see someone who's confident, there seems to be just this confidence, right, in them. It's like a calmness. comes across as a calmness. Yeah. Yeah. So will you're... What you're saying is you can observe, even in people in the world around you, this kind of like calmness because there's this assurance. And even if things are going wrong, they seem to kind of keep their cool about it, right? It's like very Miyagi-like, right? the karate kid, like paint the fence. The guy's attacking you, and you're like, somehow he just knows to keep your cool and not freak out, right? So if we think about those things, and then you also said, uh, what was the other? Security. Yeah. Yeah, open, right? So how does that, so then my question is, do we, the thing we, things we see in the world that are 
uh, demonstrating confidence, do those relate to this definition of openness and all things spoken? Do they relate to that? So the person who's calm and in light of hardship, yeah, I would say so. They're kind of open to whatever it is that's going to happen. Right? They're not, they're not hiding. They're not necessarily ignoring the struggle. However, they're open to the fact that it'll be okay. Um, and, and then people who are confident, bold, like they're speaking. They're, they're not afraid to tell you. Um, it could be an action too, like me, uh, afraid to take something apart and try to fix it, right? Like I wasn't open to that experience. I was worried about what would happen. Cool. So I think that's a, that's a really good start there. So now with all those situations, except for the one that you mentioned, because that's, that's above and beyond, but confidence in the world that we observe, where, what is the source of that confidence or openness? What's the source? Experience? Okay, someone else said something here. Experience? Knowledge. Knowledge. Relationship with people that have that experience. Someone else say something? Self? Very good. It's like you read the notes. Good job. Good job. Way to go. Way to go, Joe. Um, Here's what it is. The areas in which people demonstrate confidence, a lot of times it's right. They've had experience in that. They know someone else who's had experience in that. And, And what it is, is it's their ability to make something happen It's their confidence in themselves. It's the confidence in their circumstance. I don't worry because my circumstance is good. Oh, you're you're confident. I mean, you just like eat, drink, do whatever because you're confident it's not going to affect your health. And then you hit like 50, right? And then the doctor destroys that confidence in a quick moment, right? Uh, You're confident in in the way you look physically, so you, you stand up, but then... Someone says something and you take a blow or you gain weight or lose hair or whatever it is that takes away that confidence, right? So this is the danger. The danger is life will kick your butt, flat out. Life will kick your butt. It will come at you. And if all the ways in which you can be open and confident are based on you and things in this world and other people, you will let yourself down. Circumstances will let you down. Other people will let you down. True? Okay, does your, your experience is, is supporting what I'm telling you? Okay. So this is, this is from Hebrews. Hebrews, some people think it's Paul that wrote it. Other people have their opinions. It doesn't matter. It's somebody in greater maturity speaking to groups of Christians, the Hebrew church, right? Christians, Hebrew Christians. And it starts like this, which I think is awesome because... Verse 15 says this, for we do not have a high priest. Okay, first of all, what does a high priest do? Prays for you. Yeah, makes your petitions known, right? He's kind of the, the one that comes between you and God. Is, it was the high priest in, in the Jewish system, right? Would atone for your sins and, and all of that. Okay, so who is this high priest that we have? Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Let me tie that in. So now we've got confidence, which is based on us, 
our circumstances or other people. But in our weakness, in their weakness, in the weakness of the world, what happens? We get what? Disappointed, hurt, let down. Get confused. Not trust. Insecure. So here's just the beautiful thing. That's why this should like, if we really slowed down, like we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with the fact that we're weak. The fact that we're hurt. The fact that we're scared, nervous, disappointed. And it doesn't seem like a big deal because we've been hearing about this, whether you went to church or not since you were a little kid. God loves me. Jesus loves me. This, right? You, you think that, but you said it so much, you really don't believe it. And then something we've been talking a lot about was, is how we're supposed to be Jesus for, for one another. And so the problem is you get in your Christian walk and you get better at doing the right things, if that's such a thing. And pretty soon you've got no patience for anyone else's weakness. And so then me, as this Christian do-gooder, ends up modeling, like, holier-than-thou behavior towards people in their weakness. And then those people begin to live and experience that God is the same way, and he is not. Not through Christ Jesus. I mean, what is that? What do people struggle with? What do people struggle with? Let's... Pride. Okay. Did Jesus have to come up against that? Right? Oh, if you're such a big deal, why don't you tell that rock to turn to bread? Oh, if you're such a big deal, why don't his own brothers and sisters like, dude, why don't you go like have a conference, man? If you're such a big deal, shouldn't you be telling people? I mean, spit on, kicked, beat up, stripped naked. Hit with the strap. Hit with the strap. I mean, come on, guys, anyone... Here's what happens. You get, you get crucified. You're hung on a cross, and what's typically happened? You're naked, and all the blood's flowing to the areas you don't want it to flow. Your mom, your sister, all your friends see all your goodies, okay? And you don't want that to happen. That's embarrassing. And meanwhile, you're dying, okay? Being made fun of. This is a, a serious attack on pride. Lust. Yeah. I mean, listen. There's just story after story. There's like, I mean, come on, one of his best homies was like a prostitute. This girl knew how to use her womanly wiles. And you don't think she started off trying that on Jesus? That's all she knew. The woman caught in adultery, throw a naked woman out in the street. Do you think God was like, God himself as man is like, oh, I'm not attracted to women? No, he had all of that. Like money, a house, a career that matters, adoration, fear, sickness, hunger, thirst, soreness, Pain. Like, he knew all of that. So he gets it. He gets what it is to be weak. He gets what it is to feel that attack. He gets what it is to feel afraid. He gets what it is to feel trapped. To be let down. I mean, his best buddies, they let him down. They bailed on him. His mom didn't get him. Does your mom and dad get you? No? Well, neither did his. And probably the more you become like Christ, the more you kind of have a second head, nobody gets you. 
Ask anyone who's been in ministry. Like, you're, like everywhere you go, no one, there's no place where everyone, anyone gets you. Everyone thinks you're this weird thing, right? People are afraid. Um, so you get it. Like, Jesus knows this, so he can sympathize with our weakness. And why that is so cool is check this out. But in every respect, right, he has been tempted as we are. And then we were, we were talking about this at our house, and Brandy was like, man, this, like, this jumped off the page at her. And I was praying about it. And then it says, yet without sin. He was tempted yet without sin. Who's read over that? Who's read over it many times? And I don't know that that would always stand out to us because we think a sin is like, well, he didn't do the wrong things. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Like, he got desperate. He got those feelings, and he didn't react in a way counter to what God would want him to do. Like, what that means is this, that Jesus understands, he gets it, and he knows the way to live. Jesus knows the way to live. He knows it. He knows how to have full life in spite of all this we're dealing with. He knows, he knows what's real life giving and what's life sucking. He knows firsthand. He's not some distant deity God like Zeus throwing lightning bolts at you. Like He knows what it is to be embarrassed. He knows what it is to be needing and wanting and to feel that insecurity and need that sort of support and validation. He gets that. Now, because that, because he gets you and I, this is what the author of Hebrews said, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I mean, let's let's strip down this grace word. It keeps bringing up this throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. Grace. What's grace? It's two things? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great answers. He said it's two things. First of all, it's that unmerited favor that we talk about. Like, wow, you, you make me feel like I'm your favorite, God, because I am. Like, in spite of me being so unfaithful and so weak, you still treat me like I'm the best and most important thing to you. Like, even though I don't deserve it, I have your favor. And it blows my mind. And then on the other side, grace is his power. God's grace, this this power, like the prophet saw this vision, right, of, of the waters, the living waters flowing down out of the throne room of God, down through the land, off. And that it would come down, and then Jesus came to bring us that living water, that power of God, that love of God, that acceptance of God. Like, that's where his throne is. Out of his throne is flowing this power and this acceptance for you. That is so cool. But I don't get it. I don't experience it all the time. I don't let it in all the time. And this is where God is, I'm telling you, this is where God is going to show us the good grass to eat. So with openness, we come. Because our tendency, guys, in religion is this. We end up finding things 
that, and we, I've been in like a few conversations just this, this week with some of you guys. So if you're like, you're talking about me. Well, I am because it's my life, right? We've been talking about this together. No kidding. Four people just this week, and I've had this conversation. It's so hard because we come together in religious circles, and it is kind of religious, right? There's man-made practices, policies, procedures we're doing, and we're doing it out of a good heart. We want to help you. We want to worship God, but in that, there's things that are acceptable and not acceptable. So the acceptable things we bring here, like what's an acceptable thing that you bring to church? that you can share with people. Well, your Bible, yeah, that's right. But you know what's safe? Oh, man, I have to have a knee surgery. Pray for my knee surgery. Like, safe. Um, I've got this doctor's appointment. Let's do that. Let's pray, pray for world peace, right? You can do that. Pray for our leaders. You, you can do that. Those are, those are safe. What's not safe is like, I can't stop drinking, I'm addicted to pornography. I, I, I'm thinking about divorcing my spouse. I have thoughts of suicide. Like, these are things that people experience, but don't share. And so we compartmentalize in our lives. And so we're open about this and not open about that. And that's that constant battle. And, and believe me, if any of you step into leadership for God, then you feel a greater pressure to be perfect. And the more you step up, the more perfect you feel. But the, but the really good news is that's not what it's about. It's about you being open. Sure, there's certain things you struggle with that means that God won't have you walk that out, right? But other things, he's just wanting this kind of openness that we come before him, that we're open with him, that we're honest, that we let him into every aspect of our life, that we can go to this throne of grace because there's mercy and there's grace there that doesn't say I have to be perfect. We won't share him in church because we're afraid of being judged. How do we stop that? I don't even know. It's enough to make you mad. It's enough to make everyone quit church. Everyone who wants to be honest and real quit church, and everyone who's left doesn't want to be honest and real. Yeah. Yes. That feels safe. That's what he said here. I'll rephrase what, and tell me if I want to make sure I'm not missing the point. What he says, well, use this word, I'm struggling, right? And when we say I'm struggling, then it's all of a sudden, now I'm open, because I said I'm struggling. But you got no, no idea, right? I'm struggling. I, you know, my feet are always hurting me. I, I, I'm struggling. My kids won't talk to me. I'm, I'm struggling. It could be all of those things, and we're so general. And I know it's weird to even talk about this in front of a, a church like the pastor. Like, you should speak with more confidence. Well, I'm confident. I'm confident that I'm messed up and Jesus isn't, right? So when you see me and you're like, wow, Will, you got kind of moody, or you looked at me kind of weird, I'll be like, you're going to say, no surprise, that dude's a mess. He tells us every Sunday, right? As opposed to the guy who's like pretending to be perfect, and then he looks at you sideways, and you're devastated. Casey, when he sees me, he's going to be like, yeah, I know he's a mess. But he is approaching God in confidence with openness, knowing that God is working on Christ-likeness in all of us. And that takes a long time. You don't get Christ-like overnight. You get redeemed in a moment. You could be saved in love, but your life is about this transformation so that we find mercy 
We receive mercy, I'm sorry, and find grace, his, his favor and his power to help us in that time of need. And that's kind of what you were talking about. That power and that mercy helps me in that moment. So no matter what's going on around me, it's going to be okay. That's confidence in Christ. Were you going to say something else? Okay. Yes. Her point is we often don't share because then there's kind of accountability, right? And and there's and you've got to like kind of follow up and be honest and open and we're not ready for that. And that's a big part of it. Sometimes you're just not ready. Which is fair. Which is fair. So now we take that confidence of the world, right? Which is based it's all those things, but it comes from me from my circumstance or the world around me, now confidence in Christ. What does that look like? Confidence in Christ. I mean, you illustrated it perfectly, right? You had this, this kind of peace. Um, confidence in Christ, what does that look like? Trust. What Peace that passes all understanding. Trust. Anything else? Yeah. Good point. He makes this point. Because Jesus understands and has been through this life, he's gone through the things that we've gone through, we can go to him with all of these situations and share with them. It's kind of like, if I'm saying this wrong, Steve, please correct me. But it's kind of like when you find somebody who's gone through something like you've gone through, there's this, we even have these groups, right, where we're all, we've all gone through a similar thing so we can be there for one another and we can be real honest because that person understands. Well, Jesus is like that. He's been through that, so you can go to him as somebody who understands. And forgive us, God, because we don't model that enough as people. But that is him. So confidence in Christ, let me, let me uh, any other examples that you guys can think of? Yeah. Knowing that you will never be alone. Always have, yeah, always have what, somewhere? Someone to go to, yeah. Yep. And that's why he brought up the fact that Paul says, I can do all three things through Christ who strengthened me. And he was talking about not my ability to kick butt, but my ability to endure anything, to have less, to have more. Yeah, we'll start. Unconditional love. Knowing who your source is, yeah. Mm-hmm. that openness, right? Because you know that God knows, right? Because he knows all things. He's all-knowing. And so you can be open with him, and then his love and his power can comfort you in that, right? Yeah. What were you going to say? To be vulnerable. Fillet yourself. Open yourself up. Yeah, yeah. I saw a hand here. Yeah. Okay.
Yeah. Yeah, so what she said is when she's talking with families, right, in the context of her life, and she's talking with them, and because she has that confidence in Christ, it's almost like she's more at peace and confident about what's going on with the children than even the parents are because they don't have that anchor. Their anchor is the situation and circumstance, right? And if the circumstance and situation are sinking you, the whole ship sinks if that's your anchor. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, see, I see this thing play out too, right? Because now the world around us, guys, like it or not, and, and I think a lot of people think this is a very unpopular thought, but there's all these cultural things happening and it's unfortunate that us Christians are often overreacting and freaking out as much as the world instead of having more peace. So even if what's happening is wrong, my reaction in a wrong way gives a wrong message to the people who are wrong, right? Like if you're an employer and you're freaking out about the, about the whole um, the vaccine, and I'm not going to tell you what to do and what to think about that, okay? That's, that's an individual decision. But if I'm an employer, I've talked with like a handful of people too that are dealing with this vaccine. And what's funny to watch on the outside, it's easy for me because I'm not in it, right? But you know these bosses, I guarantee you what they're saying is, man, the Christians are giving me such a hard time. What an annoying as heck group of people. Is that fair? Right? Like, dang, man, the Christians are more angry than the people in the world. Sign me up. No, they don't think sign me up. They think, dang. Like, we've become, we've, we forget that we have this God who's in confidence because so much of this stuff, if God is in control, guys, it's kind of like, oh, I'm freaked out. I'm going to get sick. Well, maybe you will. Well, I could die. Yeah, you could. You will eventually. But guess what? No one died in the history of all the universe where God was like, oh, dang, surprise. I, was, I didn't see that one. I wasn't ready. You're going to have to wait here. We don't have a place for you yet. Right? People fall out of planes and walk away, and then people trip and hit their head and die. I mean, it's, there's no reason, logic, random, right? So God is not surprised. So if Christians live our lives like, man, everything that I need, God has, then we have this confidence, this openness just to say, I can love you. I don't have to correct you all the time. If you want to know what's truth, you ask me, and I'm bold enough to tell you. But think about that in your own life. Think about how that plays out. Are you confident in Christ? Because here's what happens if, if you're not. Here's what happens if you're not. Um, you freak out. Let's not use biblical terms. You freak out. And when you freak out, what do you do? You make stupid decisions. Beautiful. I couldn't have wrote it better. That is... You can't trust yourself. You make stupid decisions. And how do they work out, the stupid decisions? Not well. Okay. I, I debated whether I want to sh- share this with you because I don't necessarily want to promote movies or TV shows to you. Okay? But uh, my son was watching this show called Survivor. Have you heard of it? We never really watched it before, but, you know, you get sick, you get COVID, you get Netflix, and you watch something. And, and so we watched it, and the psychology and the sociology of it, sociology of it got me hooked. Okay, now, introductory, in case you haven't seen it, right, they take 18 people, I think is usually what it is, they put them on some kind of island or something somewhere, and they put them in a survival situation, they play games to become immune from being voted off, and they'll break them into a couple tribes, maybe two tribes, three tribes, and their own tribe, if they lose the competition, they have to vote off one of their members, okay, 
So you're a tribe, you're a tribe, you're a tribe. You all compete in some kind of harebrained event, right? And then this tribe wins, and they get second, and then you guys lose. So, oops, you all have to gather together. You decide who you vote off. And this goes on until at the end, right, there's, depending on the season, I guess it's two or three people, and then everyone that got voted off before them has to decide who wins. Okay? So that's not, that, that part, I just want to give you that kind of foundation. It's funny to watch the, the interplay. But what I find fascinating is, regardless, almost, almost all the time you'll see this, because you can't trust anyone. The whole game's about lying, Right? So it doesn't matter. People come on there. I'm a Christian. I'm going to do it honest. And they lie. And so then, I, you know, I digress. But anyway, I'll come back to, to the point. The point is this. What ends up happening is groups of people align, and they try to trust each other. And so their confidence and their trust is dependent on that group of people protecting them. But you know those five people are, are here to lie to win a million dollars. So people freak out. Someone says something kind of weird. They look at them a little weird, and the people lose it. They lose it. They lose it on the last day. And it's always a person that wasn't in danger of going home anyway, because they're talking about it at home, you know. They're all teaming up on this person, right? It's like, okay, they're all going to vote out Orion. Like, they all know it. But Eamon looks at Tyler kind of weird, as so Tyler starts freaking out. And he goes, and he starts losing his mind. He yells he yells at Eamon, right? He yells at Orion. He makes everyone mad in this troop. And then that night, they end up sending him home when he was safe if he just would have shut up. And I watched it and I laughed. I'm like, that's me. That is so me and probably so you. Because God's like, listen, you're safe. But God, this and this, and you freak out and you begin to act in stupid, foolish ways, which in turn create foolish, stupid results. And then you say, where are you, God? Right? He's like, I was there, and you're simply freaking out. And so when I look at that, that's the problem with not having confidence. When you don't have confidence in Christ, you freak out. And when you freak out, you begin to do the things that God would never have you do. You begin to take to yourself, all the responsibility, all the power, all the knowledge you can, right? All the hope. But here's a problem. You're blind. Apparently, you're blind, deaf, and dumb. And you're trusting the blind, deaf, and dumb person to try to lead you through this path. <laughs> and how does it go? It just doesn't work that well. It just, it just doesn't work that well. Yeah. So if we take a look back at like this, right? And this is the confidence. This is the openness that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Well, Will, how might that help me 
Well, it looks like this. Let's just say, let's just, I mean, pick out any relationship. You could, if you're a parent and it's a kid, a, a, a child and a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a coworker, and it's not going well. And in that relationship, you're not getting what you think you need. Okay, let's say, let's say you're, you're going through a divorce and a separation. Let's say you're dealing with cancer. Let's say you're one of the poor kids who hit 18, and then the whole world is like, okay, what are you going to be when you grow up? You should know right now. And who are you going to be in this life with? I mean, who's, who's your girlfriend, boyfriend, and what are you doing, or where are you going to college to do something? Like, once you hit 18, it's like 10,000 pounds on you. So all of those things are difficult to deal with. And if you believe that God doesn't hear you, if you believe that God is not in control, then how do you react? You don't know how to react. You don't know how to react? How would you react? You would stress? Okay, what would you do? Go in a dark place. What's that? Go in a dark place. Go in a dark place. Yeah, well, you say something? You try to do something, yeah. So what do you do when you don't trust, when you're not open, you close that part of your life, either that, you try to pretend it's not there, right? That's the one thing. So then you have these compartmentalized lives. I seem to be okay, but if you really get to know my character, I have these huge flaws that are going to destroy me eventually. Or what you do is you get desperate to do something instead. Oh, man, I feel bad about myself because my relationships aren't right. So what do I do? Okay, Either I, do, I keep doing obsessively the things I get compliments about, or maybe I get money so I feel more powerful and important, or maybe I try to get in better shape and look better so I get plastic surgery so I can do that, right? I pretend to have, be confident. I do all these things to get that validation. I'm going through a divorce. I've got no control over it. I can't stop it. I'm struggling. They're leaving. What do I do? Well, is God, is God with you? Is he not? Well, it doesn't seem like he is. What do you do? You get angry at the person leaving you. You run away from God because everyone's judging you in the church. You don't even go there anymore. And then you've got to go back out in the world and figure out what you're going to do and who you're going to do it with, and you choose the wrong people and the wrong things to do because you've run away from God in your time of need. And probably the worst thing in all of those that really happens, guys, and this is what's happened to me, and even like my wife has to show me this, like your heart gets hardened. And all those things we're talking about are symptoms of, of a hardened heart. And you hardened your heart because it took blows. It, it took on damage. You didn't want to hurt anymore. You wanted to pretend to be okay, right? So your heart got hardened, and now you're not, you're not receiving God's love, and you're not giving it. That's why the author of Hebrews says that. Wait, I know you're struggling. I know that things haven't gone exactly like you planned. But you have a high priest, that's me, Jesus, right? He says, I'm able to understand and sympathize what you're going through. I know, I know that the church is like, it's going to be okay, you're going to get heaven someday. It just doesn't help. Not right now, not while you're crying, not while you're hurting, not while you're afraid that don't worry, it's going to get better someday, just does not help. And so Jesus is like, I understand 
But get this, even though I went through that, I know the way to navigate this. I know the way to navigate this. If you would walk with me, if you would invite me into this, I would give you a new heart in place of your hardened heart. And in your new heart, we could walk through this together. And that doesn't mean the relationship would be saved or the cancer would go away or your kid would call you tomorrow or you would call your parents tomorrow. It doesn't mean that you get six-pack abs overnight if that's what you... It doesn't mean that would happen, but in all of those things, you're not alone and there's a way through this. That doesn't involve you taking it into your own hands and screwing everything up. So he says, because of that, come to me with openness. With confidence. Don't harden your heart. And knowing that I have mercy for you. And grace for you and your time of need. Confidence in Christ. I know this, this idea, is, it's kind of an ocean. It's like an ocean that you could actually just endlessly, you know, just draw from because the implications of that, of a person who is living a life confidence in Christ are as are as numerous and as many as there are situations. In this room, we could find a hundred different situations. Some would overlap, but they'd have individual situations. And you each are, are having to make a decision moment by moment whether your confidence will be in your circumstance and in the world, in your ability to do what it is that God's asking you to do to follow him, or to take it in your own hands or join somebody else, Right? So I just want to pray, and then we're going to do a baptism and celebrate because it's an exciting thing when, when a young woman, man, anyone that, wants, that comes to do that would, would come openly with confidence just to say that Jesus is my Savior and I want to let everyone know. And so I leave this a little open-ended because I just ask that you would, here's the hope, right? This isn't any good what I'm doing, it's really a waste of a life and time and money if you don't ever do anything with it. If, and today might not be the day that God's speaking to your heart, but I would encourage each one of you guys, you have an opportunity, even if you've never done that before, to pray and to talk to God and say, God, I want to know about this. Like, where is my confidence? Take that kind of inventory. Take that kind of inventory and then ask that question about a thousand times this week. When you face a circumstance or a person or yourself and you don't know what to do or how to process it, I mean, you ask that question, okay, if my confidence is in Christ, what's true? If my confidence is in Christ, what's true about this? See what happens. Watch him work. Watch him Watch him lead you. Watch you become more and more that person like you were talking about where it's like, how do they seem to be so calm right now? Not panicked, not freaking out. Confident, assured, open. Like gentle, meek, mild, the things that Jesus valued when he was here. Those aren't the characteristics of a person freaking out. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, meaning that I know it's new. Almost every time we read it, you, you apply it and you bring it to us in a new way. So, Lord, I, I give this to you. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in the hearts of the men and women who are here, that from whatever words you have me say, or whatever words I said, that you would draw things to them, that they would, um, it would help them, that it would draw them closer to you, that it would challenge them, maybe, maybe even hurt their feelings a little bit, if need be, so that they would surrender to you more and learn with you, walk with you, and, and uh, take up the easy yoke with you. I thank you for that, Jesus, and I thank you for your love. Without it, we would be hopeless. I pray this in your name and in your power. Amen.